0: Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 206 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm hosting this week. My name is Jason Evans. I'm still quarantined here in Atlanta, Georgia, and all of you should be as well. Sam Klein. Sam's at Duke. Joining me now, Sam, how's it going?
1: Uh, I'm good. I've got one week of school left, so that's kind of weird. Obviously still doing it all at home, but yeah. Yeah. It's uh I'm just just wrapping up the wrapping
0: up the semester and wrapping up my MBA. And Donald Wine. Uh, Donald actually has been moving around a little bit, haven't you, Donald? Well, I am back in D.C. I'm back in my home where
2: I will be for the remainder of this hiatus. Uh It was good to be in Charlotte for a few weeks, but uh, I need to get back here to just kind of take care of some stuff as well as uh honestly is like it was to get some medication that couldn't be sent elsewhere. Uh, So I just came back here and and parked here on my couch as normal uh, for the duration of this thing
0: Well, we've got a lot of stuff to discuss this week on the show Uh, We've had we've had a bevy of of interviews in recent weeks We've been hitting the early 2000s really hard Uh, We we spoke to chris duhan We spoke to the landlord sheldon williams and we spoke to carlos boozer just the other day carlos by the way is also a uh, the, the the Head basketball analyst for the ACC network, so that wasn't completely reflecting on the past. A lot of that was talking about stuff in the present. If for some reason people you haven't downloaded those podcasts, all three of those great interviews, amazing insight into really iconic games, national championship games, um, and and you know huge moments in Duke's history. Um, we hope you've been enjoying that content, but this week no guest stars, just the three of us. And the guest star is going to be all of you because we've been talking about it for a while We finally are doing the mailbag show I want to stress that there are things about the mailbag that are huge items in the news and we're gonna get it started with this Uh, uh, David one of our listeners asked us what the starting lineup should look like next year and It feeds perfectly into the big news. We had this past week of Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt both officially announcing that they will be returning to Duke. They are not going to test the NBA draft waters or anything like that. They are thrilled and happy to be back in the program. As a result, I think we have finally a really, really good sense of exactly what the roster is going to look like for next season. And so guys, let's feed his question in with your feelings about Moore and Hurt coming back. And Sam, I'll start with you. You know, Obviously, answer David's question. What do you think the starting lineup is going to be? But also talk about Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt.
1: I think they both made good decisions personally for themselves. Neither was quite ready for the NBA. If either of them were considering transferring to get more playing time, I don't think that is going to be super helpful, particularly given you know we're now a couple more weeks into the pandemic. I think that players who stay where they are are more likely to progress next year because they're at least familiar with whatever program they're in, be that the college program they're in, be that staying in their NBA team, staying in their G League team, whoever that is. So both Moore and Hurt, I think, are helped by being back at Duke next season personally for them. Talking about the starting lineup, especially relative to that, I feel like Coach K along with basically every other coach in the country is going to defer more to returning players rather than incoming players as far as big minutes early in the season and starters, because the returning guys or the the incoming guys are just not going to have the same kind of adjustment period over the summer where they get used to being in college, they get used to playing with their teammates. So I think both Moore and Hurt, therefore, are initially going to begin the season as, as starters. And I think Jordan Goldwire is one of those two. Goldwire showed last year, along with Wendell Moore that behind Trey Jones he's probably the most capable ball handler on the team and and is also one of the best defenders along with Moore so I think those guys together are going to be important uh, wing or or backcourt players Jeremy Roach as one of the star incoming freshmen I think is is the other guard that's going to be out there in the starting lineup, as I said. I think that Coach K may defer a little away from freshmen this year, but Roach I think is too good. And then the other freshman who we've discussed before and talked about some of his highlights is Jalen Johnson as a forward. So uh, taking taking those into account, Roach, Goldwire, and Moore as the starting guards, and then Johnson and Hurt I think as the forwards, the downside to the starting lineup that I am envisioning, at least initially in in next season, is that there isn't a true – really big man. Johnson and Hurt are both more wing players even though they have size. So you could see that that lineup being a little more malleable. Maybe Mark Williams or or Henry Coleman takes a starting position, maybe Patrick Tope takes a starting position given that he's got Division 1 experience although it's not in the ACC. I think that the starting lineup is going to be pretty fluid next year especially given all the effects of having of having the team not on campus over the summer.
0: You know, your projected starting lineup is exactly the same as mine. I actually think the other, the other potential sub, and I, I think I cannot stress enough your point about the fact that these guys are not going to be able to get to campus the way we think. I mean, look, let's be honest. It, 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 it's possible the season will be delayed. Um, it's possible students won't be back at Duke in the fall. None of us know at this point. Um, but uh, th- there's no question at least in my mind at this point, that you're not going to see the freshmen on campus working out with the team, getting, you know, little pieces of advice, whether it's notes slipped to them or, or actually getting, adv- you know, getting stuff from the coaches uh, the way they usually would over the summer. And, and as a result, I actually think it's possible that that Roach does not start that Goldwire starts the point guard and that Joey Baker is also in the starting lineup um, that we essentially start the, the four returnees plus Jalen Johnson, who is so advanced. I mean, Jalen Johnson is the most NBA, the most talented guy on the team, uh, according to everything that we've heard. Um, so, so uh, you know, that's sort of the one that I think could could slip in there. I, look, it's possible one of these, uh, Cassius, uh, a year ago, none of us would have said Cassius Stanley would be... You know the, you know, arguably the 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 top freshman. Well, Vernon Carey, but anyway, none of us would have said Cassius Stanley would have the role he played until he arrived at Duke and people realized how good he was. So it's possible that I don't know DJ Stewart, or one of these other guys, you know, really explodes. But I think it's going to be more difficult for them to to do that. Uh, Donald, what's your what's your uh, read on the starting lineup and and give me some Hurt and more thoughts as well.
2: Yeah, so I I went with, I think I got a merry of two where. I think the starting lineup is going to be exactly what you said, Jason, in the fact that I think initially Joey Baker is going to start ahead of Jeremy Roach, but I have seen Jeremy Roach play. He is a dynamite talent and it's not going to be long before we see him uh, in the starting lineup. uh, Usually probably with Jordan Goldwire now up top. I do think that Hurt and Moore are going to start initially alongside Jalen Johnson. I think you will see Patrick Topay work himself into that lineup. Uh, not necessarily the starting lineup, but one of the first guys off of the bench uh, to replace those big men uh, in the initial phase. Because, again, I think you guys have both hit it. I don't honestly think we're going to have college sports come back until – it is guaranteed that there is a safe way for them to play, whether it be through aggressive testing or through a vaccine. I think the, that this season will be delayed a little bit. I think that the fall semesters uh, will be delayed or even, you know, virtual. Uh, so having said that a lot of these guys will not have the opportunity to get acclimated to campus, get acclimated to the team. That is where Hurt and more can use that experience to step up and, and, on, you know, hopefully, one of them will be probably named captain. Uh, that That's a, a early indication. Maybe one of them could be a captain because they're going to be on the floor so much. And I think initially Coach K is going to lean on those two guys in particular, as long with Jordan Goldwire, to really get this team going uh, in the early part of the season, whenever it may start.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of commentary from college coaches, be they in basketball, football, whatever sport about how preparation this summer is going to be so challenging not only are they not going to see the players but the players may not have access to facilities that really help them so all of these coaches and strength and conditioning coaches and trainers are all trying to come up with at home workouts that keep the players fresh and keep them developing over the summer you will see a distinction between the players that really are able to motivate themselves and put in that work and those that need to be on campus and overseen to get there, and I think that's especially where experience is going to make a difference. I have no doubt that Jordan Goldwire is going to figure out how to do productive workouts over the summer. I don't know how these freshmen are at that, and, and I and I don't know how well they'll be motivated without captains like presumably Goldwire and and more perhaps um, any of Joey Baker um, to motivate them.
2: And really, it's it's honestly. It may be through no fault of their own, but it's up to where they where they are, right? Like we all are at at state have stay at home orders. Some of those include not going to parks or basketball courts, so they may not have access to anything other than their you know hoop that's on their on their over their garage at their you know at their house. And some of these guys may have access to gyms privately or something like that. That'll be interesting, not just here you know for our team, but across college basketball. Who has access to what, and you'll see some gains uh, in the offseason from those players based on what they have available to them. So uh, you're right, Sam. It's about motivation, but it it is also about the environment around them, around all of us, and how they can adapt to that because this is really unprecedented. I don't think anyone will ever have to go through something like this, and we can't fault anybody for really taking it one way or the other.
1: And on that same topic, the – Th- there's also going to be less difference, I think, that you would normally see between guys that go to elite programs like Duke and guys that go to mid-major programs because they aren't necessarily separated by their access to facilities if they aren't allowed to be on campus. And Duke right. is not sending Duke is not sending makeshift basketball courts to all these guys' houses to play at. They they don't have the I don't think they have the ability to do that.
0: Yeah, well, well uh, the only thing I would say about that is uh, we there is communication going on. Between Coach K and these players, between the coaching staff and these players, I guarantee you that Coach K is is telling them what he wants them to work on and the kinds of things they should be doing. I guarantee that the whoever the uh, you know captains are going to be are talking to these guys about the the ways that they can improve themselves even while they're by themselves. And I I bet you anything that if if there are guys who who have limited access to a hoop or who don't have weight you know weightlifting equipment or anything like that that Coach K and the program are trying to do things to help out with that. Maybe it's making a phone call to someone who, you know, a a high school coach in the area to say, is it possible for this guy to have some time on the floor with no one else around? You know, there are ways to observe social distancing and not stay in your basement the whole time. So uh, I actually think a program that has as much reach and as much power as Duke does, they're making sure that these guys are figuring out what to do. Um, and, and, And I think, whether it's Jordan, I think everyone assumes Jordan Goldwire um, is a leader and will be one of the captains. We don't know who the other captains are going to be, and I'm not going to get into that speculation, but this is actually a time when guys who are leaders find even better ways to step up um, and communicate and and make sure that everyone understands what needs to be done to improve over the summer. And that dovetails really nicely into one of our other mailbag questions. Um, uh, A listener named K-Man asked us, what returning devil is likely to make the biggest improvement from his 1920 season to to the 2021. He also asked which of the incoming freshmen were most excited to, to see in a Duke uniform, but but this notion of the big improvement, I think, is is one that we we definitely need to talk about right now. And and, and I'll get it started by saying I I think it's gonna be Matthew Hurt, um, who was a guy who at times we saw really dominate. Um you know he he was an excellent player in some games, but there were games where he could barely get on the floor. Uh, now Partially because of attrition of other players, but but also because I think we we just haven't seen a guy as highly regarded as Matthew Hurt return to school in quite some time. It, it's pretty rare uh, for Duke to even get a top twenty-five kind of guy back. Um, uh, Trey Jones did it and improved tremendously and became player of the year. Grayson Allen did it. Uh, you know he didn't play nearly as much as a freshman as as Matthew Hurt did or Wendell Moore for that matter. And Grayson Allen made a huge leap his sophomore year. Luke Kennard is another guy who is highly regarded, had a sort of frustrating freshman campaign and made a huge leap. Now I'm not saying it always happens. Chase Jeter, it didn't happen. Marquise Bolden, it didn't happen. But we've seen several examples in recent years of guys who at the end of their freshman season, you know, you weren't necessarily super sure what you were going to get from them as a sophomore and they came back and, you know, practically doubled their their, their scoring output, um, you know. So so I'll go ahead and I'll say I think Matthew Hurt's going to average 18-plus points per game next year. He is going to be a huge, huge player for next year's team. That's my prediction of the guy who's going to make the biggest improvement from nineteen twenty. And I think he's going to be a better rebounder. He's going to be stronger. I, you know, I guarantee a Coach K has figured out a way to get a set of weights in Matthew Hurt's basement. And Matthew Hurt is going to be lifting all summer long. Sam, what do you say?
1: I agree with you that it's going to be Matthew Hurt. I think that he has the combination of enough raw talent that we know from his coming into school and enough film that he can be looking at over the summer to find specific improvements in his game. So guys are not really going to be able to be playing with each other so he's not going to be able to test out new post moves or or defend guys on the perimeter in in a practice situation over the summer but he will be able to improve conditioning and and improve his mobility at home in ways that will uh, make big differences for him next season and he'll be able to see what those needs are by watching a lot of his tape from last year because there is a lot of he has a lot of evidence of Places where he can improve. So I agree with you. I think it's Matthew Hurt, and and if he makes that that leap, that is a huge difference maker for Duke. Because you could see, you could envision Matthew Hurt not making huge gains over the summer for whatever reason. This is not like some kind of oh, I think he's not capable or something. If he doesn't make those gains, he's going to lose minutes and starting position very quickly uh, because this team has has enough talent and enough other big guys that Coach K could just plop in. So. Matthew Hurt should be motivated to make those changes, and I think he will, and it'll make a huge difference for this team.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree with the two of you. Um, I think you guys have touched on a lot of what Matthew Hurt said. So I'm going to talk about what I think Wendell Moore can do to join him on that most improved in the offseason. And I think, first of all, it's an old school tactic. Let him shoot a thousand shots a day. Uh, from every position on the floor that you know that we expect him to be in whether it be layups whether it be you know that mid-range 10 footer in the paint like runner or a three-pointer getting a thousand shots a day I think if he can improve his shooting that will be in a really really big boost to us because we're going to need shooters uh, from all areas on the court next year I think his versatility uh, can be matched um, you know by Matthew Hurt but we're I think Wendell Moore is good right now is that he's stronger in the paint. He didn't show that at times last year, but I do want to say that if he could become a 13 and six guy, we're going to really be good because if, if he and you know, if Matthew hurt does what we think he's going to do, get that 18 points a game. And then you have our second leading score being him at 13, 14 points a game, but he's also contributing on the rebounding end we're going to pick up a lot of what we're losing from this team. And I think we're going to be just as successful because he will have made that leap and no one else is going to be able to contend with him on the court.
0: Hey, you know, the guy we haven't talked about is Joey Baker. And, and I'll tell you when I was thinking about, you know, who was I sort of most intrigued about seeing next year and, and who might improve the most. Uh, like I said, I, I went with Matthew Hurt, but I, I mean, Joey Baker to some, ex, to some extent, even though he's, now a rising junior, eh, from an age standpoint. Remember, he came to Duke early. He came to Duke, you know, what would have been his his senior year of high school, and barely played as a freshman. I mean, everyone knows eighteen minutes, um, you know, to to end the red shirt. Um, I, what do you guys think about Joey Baker next year? Because God, that that kid showed. He can single-handedly win a game for you on the offensive end of the floor, uh, Donald. Uh, yeah, t- t- give me give me some Joey Baker thoughts for next season.
2: I think again, a thousand shots a day. That we want him wait, to wait, be more. You,
0: you think he needs to be more consistent with? Kid was draining. I think, but but I think yeah, yeah.
2: So I think in the sense of yes, he was. They had we had some games that he was on, but there were some games just like Matthew Hurt where he barely saw the court. I think to be consistent is going to be the key for him, whether it be on offense and defense, because defense is really what probably kept him on the bench for some of these games because he didn't match up well with some guys defensively. But also, if he's going to be on the court and he's going to be a streaky shooter, then we are not going to see much of him on the court. We've seen that from time to time with some players uh, on the team that we thought, hey, they're going to be great. They're going to be shooting 50% from the outside. It's going to be awesome. But they didn't do that. and. And during your junior year, there's going to be an opportunity for someone to step up and take your spot. The way that Joey Baker stays on the court is if he's consistent on both ends of the court. That means shooting. That means defense. And I think if he can do that in the offseason and really improve in those areas, then he's going to be fine. He's going to see 25, 30 minutes a game. I am a little more pessimistic
1: on Joey Baker. I think he gets the bump for being experienced. He's been in the program for two years, so he knows what the expectations are. I think what's going to hurt him is that The stuff he needs to work on, I think, almost requires other people to be in the room with him practicing. He needs to improve on defense. He needs to improve on court awareness. And it's just going to be harder for him to make those gains than it will be for Matthew Hurt to get stronger. Uh, So unless Joey Baker is trying to transform his game and become a big man or or something like that, if he's still a wing, then I think it's going to be hard for him to improve. That being said, we saw those glimpses, as, as Jason mentioned last year. We saw glimpses of Joey Baker being a a 25-minute-a-game ACC player. It's a matter of will he be able to to somehow improve that consistency while he's not practicing with other guys over the summer.
0: The thing I'll say about Joey Baker is – and Donald, you may be right. He may be – I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there shooting 1,000 shots a day. He hit almost 40% of his three-pointers last year. He could be one of those guys. I mean, if you look at his form, if you look at his ability to get that – that shot off with his shoulders perfectly square with great form. He could be one of those guys who turns into a forty five to forty eight, maybe even fifty percent three point shooter. That seems kind of crazy, but there are some of those guys out there. And if he gets to that kind of point, uh yes, he needs to work on his defense and his court awareness and things like that, but Coach K gonna put you on the floor if you're gonna hit close to fifty percent of your threes. But he's not so, gonna be he's, he's not gonna, gonna be a say, secondary right, option yeah, right. anymore.
2: If, if you're if you're JJ Redick you
1: can not play defense go for it
2: Yeah, <laughs> right but he's not going to he's not going to be like that you know fifth or sixth option on the court anymore he's going to be a guy that when he comes on the court other teams going to be like yo check number 13 so that's what he needs to step up on because when he was the focal point and when people were keying in on him that's when he was erratic from three pointer when he was just in the corner and let everyone do his thing he was popping popping and shooting every single time so he needs to learn to be when he's on the court that Everyone on the other team thinks he's the man. That's when he's going to have his
0: excel. Hey, two more quick mailbag questions. Um, and We don't need to each comment on all these because they aren't as in-depth, I don't think, as, as a question about, hey, what's the starting lineup going to be and that kind of stuff. Um, a listener named William asked us, um, uh, he, he mentioned that <clears throat> we spoke to Chris Duhan and Andy Means about you know what they would change about their time at Duke. And he said, hey, is there a recruit that didn't come to Duke, someone that you wish had come to Duke, a player that transferred, that maybe you wish hadn't transferred? What would the team have looked like? What would that have been? Um, Donald, answer that question for me. Who did we not get that you wish we got?
2: It's Sean Livingston. Um, I, I remember when he was uh, just, honestly, he was leaps and bounds above so many other guys in that class. He would have Absolutely destroyed in college, whether it be for a year or two. But uh, him leaving right before the draft uh, to go pro, it obviously was a great decision for him. But man, if if we could have had him uh, on the, on the floor for those years, uh, even one year, I, I think we would have been an extremely awesome basketball team to watch.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's also the guy uh, that that immediately came to mind for me. You know, recruit that we didn't get. Um, uh, sort of dovetailing with that, the guy who I kind of wish had stayed, um, uh, who, who left the program was Billy McCaffrey. I'm going old school on that, but, uh, back in, back in 1992, Billy, Billy left, um, because he wanted to play a larger role. Um, he wanted to play point guard and Bobby Hurley was the point guard. If Billy McCaffrey sticks around, um, I, I think the 93 Duke team, um, which was Bobby Hurley's senior year, the team that lost to Jason Kidd in the NCAA tournament, that's a much better team. Billy McCaffrey was a, a, a dynamic shooter. We talked about Joey Baker. Uh, he was he was uh, you know as good a shooter as Duke has had, maybe aside from J.J. Redick, maybe one or two other guys, but he's up there in the conversation. Um, he went on to be SEC Player of the Year, I think, when he went to Vanderbilt. Um, so getting him back, I think, would have made a huge difference. By the way... I, I still remember Lou Aldang leaving after his freshman year. There was lots of talk he was going to come back. If he'd come back, Duke has another banner in Donald's senior year. I think, right? 2004, yeah. No, he, well, he left was, after my senior year. Oh, okay. He was a Sorry. freshman that year.
2: Yeah. So Sorry. 2005 would have That's been a year, year yeah. that he would have led this team. Yeah.
0: But 2005 with JJ and Shaw—I mean, my God, we—we we, there's no question we we would get another banner that year. Sam, what, what's your take on this question?
1: I think that. So I, whenever I think about guys leaving or recruiting misses, I go back to the around the time that I was in school when we were coming out of the J.J. Redick years and moving to the the team that won the championship in 2010. If Duke doesn't win the championship in 2010, if Gordon Hayward's shot goes in or one of those other incredible tournament games doesn't go Duke's way, I think there are a bunch of answers to this question because uh, Elliott Williams transfers away the year before Duke goes on the 2010 run. Duke also missed out on a couple big recruits in the years leading up to that. They missed out on John Wall who was on the Kentucky team in 2010. They missed out on Patrick Patterson who went to Kentucky a couple years before that. He would have been in Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith's class and would have been an anchor for Duke in the post by the time we got to that point. So, uh, and Greg Monroe was also a, re- a big man recruit that Duke missed out Georgetown. on who went to Georgia. Yep. All those guys ended up being really great in college and all would have added something to Duke in either the 2009 or 2010 teams so if if I want to play revisionist history it all all of it gets wiped out by the fact that Duke wins the championship in 2010 (laughs) and sort of it's weird because that team is like so laden with with upperclassmen who played huge roles and yet the next year is when Duke kicks off the one and done era with with Kyrie Irving coming in and I'm I'm totally fine with how the next few years play out with Duke Making a couple big tournament runs and winning the fifteen championship, so uh, I don't have a definitive answer, but I know that there are a lot of interesting recruiting misses right around that two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine tam- time timeframe. All
0: right, guys, we're going to get on to our next mailbag question, and this is a really interesting one. Uh, a listener named Brad, who was in the class of two thousand two, said he wants us to talk about Coach K's retirement and replacement, but he wants us to approach it slightly differently. So usually when folks ask about retirement, they want to know who's going to replace Coach K. Brad, like I said, has a little bit of a different take. He wants us to, to talk about how we think Coach K will announce the retirement. Does he do it like, a, you know, after a season's done? Hey, I, I just finished, I'm done. Does he do it at the beginning of a season? Does he do it several years in advance, maybe right before the last game? You know, a question. essentially the question being, what kind of a send-off do we end up giving to coach k and and how does that impact the way the program sort of plans for things um sam I'll, I'll go to you first on this what what's your take on this really interesting question about an event that none of us really want to think about but that is out there somewhere in the in the future
1: i w- wouldn't be surprised if coach k doesn't tell anyone until the season is over that he's deciding to retire after so the assistant coaches don't know. The recruits don't necessarily know. I think he wants the transition to be as easy as possible and doesn't want the attention to be on him. I think that the worst version of it is announcing years in advance and picking a successor because that pretty much hasn't gone well for any program that's that's gone down that path, and he knows Behan. that. Yeah, it hasn't worked for Syracuse, didn't work for for uh, for North Carolina. They sort of had guys in waiting, although, although Guthridge was kind of a last-minute pick for them um and and other other programs that have that have had legends retire picking picking successors doesn't doesn't work especially not in football um so the I, I hang can on see- hang on there's
0: there there's a place where where it happened I, I this is a while back but i remember that jud heathcote at michigan state announced he would retire um Maybe it was like a year or two. I think it was two before, and they said, "And Tom Izzo will, Tom Izzo, the assistant coach, will get the job." And I I mean, that's worked out really nicely for Michigan State. Tom Izzo, right? I stand corrected. But for
2: but for Syracuse, they did the same thing. He announced the coach in waiting, and he was gonna. He said he was gonna retire three years from now, and then the next year, that coach in waiting left to take over another program. So, I mean, it 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 can work either way.
0: Although I, I think that's because Bayheim sort of changed his mind about when he was going to retire. At least that was Probably. my take on the story. I think story. There's, also, there's also a thought that Coach K would have some kind of retirement
1: tour. You know, I think you see a lot of baseball players and basketball players do this where, you know, they announce, okay, it's my last season. And then when they go to road arenas, they might get some kind of reception. I don't see Coach K wanting to get something like that. And I think he knows that especially if they go to neutral site games or, or places like that, maybe not in the like newer ACC arenas or, or if God forbid do play some kind of road game uh, that's out of conference, I don't see other fan bases being excited to fetch coach K in his final season. So I bet he skips that version of it and just does it at the end of the year. I think there's also, uh, you know, I said I wouldn't be surprised if he tells nobody except maybe his wife I think he could also tell the the assistant staff so that they know in the season leading up to it that when they're going out to recruit guys, they need to undersell on the Coach K experience and oversell on the John Shire, Nate James, whoever else is on the staff at the time experience, because ultimately those are the coaches who are going to have more of an impact on those recruits time at
2: Duke than the recently retired Coach K. So I, I think that we, this is Brad, this is a tremendously great question. I think that Coach K is going to tell the people who need to know before it happens, and we will all find out after that last game. So it won't be like, oh, my – like the media will report, oh, my God, this is so out of the blue. He just retired. Everyone who needs to know the situation, the AD, the president, the assistant coaches, even the players, they're going to know well before this. They're going to understand – the process. They're going to understand what's next. I don't think they will have picked the success or anything, but there are going to be people who understand, Hey, this is the last, this is the last run and we are going to do this right. And this is not going to overtake these players seasons, because I think that is what coach K is really going to be. We're most worried about is that he doesn't want his retirement to overshadow his players. And I think because of that people will know but they're going to be told this is strictly in house until the moment that he decides to make it public, which will probably be after that season's done.
0: Uh, so I agree with you guys. There will not be a farewell tour. Um, it, 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 it's the kind of thing that Coach K, Coach K always wants to credit other people. He always wants to. He wants it to be about the players and about the team. He never never wants it to be about him. And the farewell tour is all about him, and he would, he would hate that. I think that, to me, that's a given. There's no chance it's a farewell tour. Donald, I'll push back on you. I, I don't think that he's going to tell a lot of people in advance because I don't think he'll know in advance. He always talks about his passion. He talks about how much he loves doing this. And I think he'll wake up one morning and he'll go, you know what? I don't have it in me anymore or it's time for some new passion or whatever, whatever the answer, whatever the thing is that's going to change that's going to make up his mind that, that he's done. I don't think he's going to say, yep, I'm done now. One more season. I think he's going to say, I'm done. I'm done. Um, he won't so- be able to,
1: it's the day that he wakes up and decides he doesn't want to sit on crappy folding chairs in, in gym <laughs> where they play summer AAU tournament. Right. Cause he's, yeah. he's going to He's like, you know what? I don't need to go to Peach Jam anymore. I don't need to go to Las Vegas anymore. Like yeah. I'm over it. I'm mm-hmm. over that part of my career.
0: Right. I agree. I agree it'll be an off season. But yeah, I th- I think what's going to happen is, you know, it- it'll be a May, maybe June and and there'll be a press conference called and we'll find out and and we'll hear, you know, and people will talk to the assistant coaches and stuff and they'll go, "Yeah, he told me 3 days ago." That
1: scenario, Jason, that they inform the players and particularly the incoming players before the announcement goes public. Cause I can see there being, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to anticipate, I'm trying to anticipate the ways in which the kind of anti Duke uh, portion of the media will spin this as being a selfish thing. Uh, and and I think the, the big argument will be, well, the, the incoming players have been told that they're going to play for coach K and now they're not. And now it's too late for them to transfer. So how do you think he's going to handle it with the incoming players?
0: Well I, I, again I think he's going to decide and and you know yes I agree the players the assistant coaches the AD and the other people who matter will be informed before the public is informed but uh, again I think that'll be a matter of days but but if he if he does it you know at, after a season is over and you know before the fall then if guys want to transfer go elsewhere there'd plenty be plenty of time for them to do it I mean that's the time when guys change their mind um and and I would imagine Duke has always been very player centric. If there was an incoming recruit who'd signed a letter of intent, who was suddenly like, well, wait a second. I don't, I don't want to stay with this program. I'm sure Duke would let them out of their letter of intent. There's no, there's no way Duke would, would fight that um, and try and make a kid come. So Donald, give, give me last word on this. And we got other stuff we got to talk about.
2: Yeah. So I, I think, you know, just to, pushback on your pushback I wasn't thinking about it being like a year out where he would say okay let's get everybody in a room and discuss the process that as you said could come any day but when I think about you know there was a stretch after his back surgery there's a stretch where he didn't miss a single game and then over the last few years you've seen him miss a game here and there for the flu or for some procedure he missed a couple weeks uh, a few years ago where Jeff Capel took over in those situations, he woke up and was like, "Guys, I don't have it in me, like you guys said, I don't have it in me. I can't go." but there was a process in place. Everyone knew what was what was to be what was to happen. It wasn't that they got in a room and said, "Okay, Jeff, uh here's how we're going to do this. You are going to be the coach for today, and then this is they all knew exactly what their roles were, and I think that moment can happen at any point. It doesn't have to be in the off season. He could wake up on january 3rd and say you know what i'm i just don't have it in me anymore this is going to be it and i think but at that point whenever that moment comes there will be a process in place the people who need to know will know how that's going to work and that way when the announcement happens publicly it is a seamless transition for everybody
0: i'll say this to wrap up this topic i think he will not try to engineer a situation where his successor um you know, I don't think he'll do. You know, the 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 thing where you retire in a way where the program has to sort of name one of your one of your assistant coaches as your successor. I don't want to right. pick on Dean Smith too much, but what Dean Smith did with Bill Guthridge, where not you know, and again, Dean Smith, Coach K. If they want to name a successor, they can, but I don't think Coach K is going to put Duke in a position, you know, like a mid-season retirement or something, where uh, you know, where they elevate you know, uh, John Shire or something like that. And suddenly Duke is in a position where where, you know, Coach K is making the replacement decision on his own. That that to me is is not going to happen because that's not the way Coach K operates. But anyway, hey, we're going to take a quick break here, folks. We got a ton more content to come. We'll be back in a second with a discussion about what some people say is the biggest threat to college basketball that we've seen in many, many years. Stick around. OK, we're back. And there was huge news in the world of college basketball this week. It was announced that Jalen Green, perhaps the top recruit in the entire high school, you know, senior class, um, is not going to play college basketball. He's going to go directly to the NBA G League. And, and it's not going to be for, for, you know, like the hundred thousand dollars or so that they were talking about a couple, uh, about a year or two ago. He's going to get a half million dollar, a five hundred thousand dollar contract from the G League. Uh, Isaiah Todd, who who was a Michigan recruit, another top tier recruit, um, five star guy, has said he's also going to take this deal. And there's talk that two, maybe three other guys who are top twenty five McDonald's All American kind of recruits may also join them in in sort of a special G League team. It's not going to play a regular G League schedule. There's a lot of stuff about it. Um, you, I'm sure you've read about it online. But the the big question for for folks in the college basketball world is. How does this impact college basketball? Guys, ordinarily, as the host, I would toss to you all to talk about this. But this is sort of my baby. This is my topic. The, the pay the players kind of thing is something that I've been obsessed with for a while. So let me go first, and then I'll get you guys in. I want to start with this question. Um, why did the NBA do this? What is, the, what is the win for the NBA here? Because it, it is quite clear that having college basketball training these players for a year and, and figuring out which ones are really good is something that that the NBA was perfectly happy with. Um, and there are people out there who say that this is about the NBA not wanting to go to Australia to scout these kids because we saw last year we've seen more and more kids going, you know kids who didn't want to play college basketball at all went overseas and, and they've been going to the, the Australian Basketball League to play over there and that the NBA didn't want to go scout in Australia. I think the reason the NBA did this is far more significant than that. I think it's because the NBA knows that the one and done rule is not going away anytime soon. There'd been a lot of talk that they were going to get rid of one and done. Probably that they were going to announce it, you know, sometime in 2020 or 2021. And that for the 2022 draft, everyone would be eligible. Um, the Adam Silver and the NBA Players Association have been talking they, they've they run into an impasse. They're not able to figure out how to get this done. So one and done, I think it's clear that this is going to be here until the CBA, the current NBA CBA expires in 2024 and maybe even beyond. Um, the two sides sort of neither one of them are willing to give on, on the issues they have around one and done. So I think this is the NBA's way of having something in the interim for one and one done going away or just in general, the notion of paying players. and and that they shouldn't be forced to go to college has now gone away because the NBA is offering serious money to, to, to get players from high school directly into the pros. Not directly into the NBA, but directly into the pros. So that's question number one on this. Question number two is, is this a threat to college basketball? And this is where I find it absolutely laughable. There is no way where this has any meaningful impact on college basketball. This is merely the NBA providing an outlet to kids who probably weren't going to play college basketball anyway. Remember, folks, for more than a decade, there were high school kids going directly to the NBA draft, and we didn't see college basketball suffer. During the 80s and – I'm sorry, during the 90s and the 2000s, it would have been great for us to see Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, guys like that. It would have been great to have them in college basketball for a year But it's not like college basketball ratings um, or or the level of competition was terrible when those guys were going straight to the NBA. College basketball survived this before. It will survive it going forward. And we're not talking about the NBA setting up a system where they're going to be 30, 40, 50 or more players going directly to this this NBA G League. The NBA doesn't want that. It doesn't make any sense because there aren't that many guys who are surefire NBA prospects. Um, This is going to be for only truly, truly elite guys, and only a small number of them are going to take advantage of it. We have heard over and over again, people this week have talked about um, uh, Zion Williamson and how we got to know him in college and how his college experience and captivating the nation sort of changed the way his brand was perceived. And that Zion Williamson is worth tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars more because of what we saw him do in college and that that never would have happened if he'd gone to the G league and don't even get me started on televising these, this, this G league select team that's going to have these high schoolers on it. No one wants to see that it will get zero ratings. It's not going to be interesting to anyone, but a few tiny, tiny diehards who scout get basketball. It's just not enough to, to, to move the needle. So I think this is not going to have a major impact in college basketball. So then the last group, so I, I talked about its impact on the NBA, impact in college basketball. Last group is the players. And, and, and one thing I want to say about this, I think it's a very, very risky move for these guys who are, who are taking this route. Um, they could easily be, exp- it's one thing to play against other college guys, guys who are about your same age, guys who maybe aren't as experienced at, at what pro basketball is all about. Um, a lot of these guys that go to this G League are going to be playing, when they play against G League players, they're playing against guys who are older, guys who are capable of you know, probably being fringe NBA players. The level of competition in the G League is way, way better than it is in college. And if you're Jalen Green or Isaiah Todd or any of these other guys who attempt this, there is a real risk that you don't look very good against guys who didn't quite make the NBA. And so suddenly, maybe rather than being a top five pick like Jalen Green would have been or, you know, a mid first rounder the way Isaiah Todd would have been, teams have more questions about you. I I think it's a it's a significant risk. And look, we've seen other guys attempt this in recent years. There is a list of guys in the past few years who, you know, they went overseas or something else, but they didn't play college ball. Then they went to the NBA. And, And there are some misses in here. Brandon, Brandon Jennings was a hit. Manuel Moutier has done pretty well. Ter- uh, Mitchell Robinson's done really well. But there are other guys, Darius Basley, uh-uh. Terrence Ferguson, Anthony Simons hasn't done that much. Thom Maker, Jalen, I don't remember Jalen LeQ, He was going to go to NC State just a year ago. He, he went directly to the NBA, but he didn't make it to the NBA. He barely made it onto a G League roster. So there have been guys who've tried this recently and it has not worked out for them. So, uh, like I say, there, there's, there's some real risks for these guys who are attempting this, but at least they're going to put a few hundred grand in their pocket before they get exposed. Okay, enough from me. Donald, take it first. What, what do you think? Is this a threat to college basketball?
2: No, um, and here's why. I, I, first, Thank all, you,
0: Donald. Sam?
2: <laughs> first of all, scouting, you know, you talked about scouts didn't want to go to Australia. Scouts are going to go where they need to scout the best players and last year with lamella ball a lot of these guys ended up going to australia in part because they wanted to go overseas but they didn't want to have to deal with the language barrier and also the stability of contracts when brandon jennings as you said went to italy he had to learn italian he couldn't his team didn't speak english but also he wasn't always getting paid every two weeks whereas in australia the the, there's English and the Czechs were more stable than they were in other places of the world. So people went there. But really, what it comes down to is eyeballs. There are going to be way more eyeballs on college. And then after that, the you know, we are talking about professionals. Hey, really it's quick, gonna way, be
0: Europeans way more, way more doesn't even cover it. I mean, well, these no, guys, I was gonna say I was gonna say it's that like it be, nothing. No one sees them if they play look, European ball or yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
2: But literally, look, look, I watch NBA TV a lot. Do you know what they show? They'll show a live Euro game. Then they'll show a tape delayed Euro League game over a live G League game. And that's their league. So if they're not putting any effort into it, then watch any of us. That is the the message that they're sending. So I'm not worried about college basketball. It's going like like you said, some of these players don't want to play college ball. They don't want to go to class. So they're going to try this as an option. It's a very big risk for them. It is way more of a risk for them than it is for the college teams because college is still going to get the eyeballs. And that's why a lot of these top talent, top talent guys are going to still go to college for one year because they know that the eyeballs are already there.
1: Jason, I think you made a good point about how this is more of a replacement for going overseas than it is for going to college basketball because – the guys don't want to travel to other countries. They don't want to have to learn new languages when they're 19 or or have to make that huge adjustment. I think that college still makes sense for most players coming out of high school. The other part that we didn't touch on is the development aspect of it. College programs are already fine-tuned to help, at least the programs like Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina. These programs are already fine-tuned to develop players to go to the pros because that's that's where most of their players are going anyway, so they have that that recruiting and development system already in place to be the best for those players. The NBA, I don't think, in this new version of the G League, is investing in the kinds of coaches and the kind of resources that they need for those players to get to the next step at a, you know, w- w- with better certainty than they would get by going to a top college program. So, There's, except they're still for- playing in
2: high school gyms, like. They don't right. have the infrastructure that college does.
1: They're not right. And, and so until the NBA wants to invest a lot more into making the G League a, a fully built development system and not just a, uh, you know, holding ground for players who don't fit in the league at this moment, um, they're not going to be able to compete with college basketball. And I'm not super worried about it. I also look back 15 years ago when we when we didn't have one and done. Um, and college basketball was still great even when the best players went to the NBA you know it would have been awesome to see LeBron James in college it would have been awesome to see Kevin Garnett in college but guess what they weren't there and we had we had those great Duke teams we had great UConn teams we had great Maryland teams everything was still fun in college basketball even without those handful of players and I think the same would still be true today
0: Yeah, so I think we're done with that topic now. So, guys, let's move on to parting shots. Donald, I'll go to you first. Um, I know you got a little bit of news uh, about the women's game.
2: I do. Uh, As many people know, the WNBA draft was on Friday night. Uh, there was a couple of Duke players that were drafted. Uh, It was a draft that was weird because, uh, obviously, because of these times, it was virtual. Uh, It was the first one of these major drafts that were virtual. You'll see the NFL do the same thing next week, Uh, but it was still a pretty cool experience. Uh, And and there was a couple of Duke players to note, and a couple other notes that I wanted to mention. First, Leona Odom was the 15th pick in the draft. She is headed to the New York Liberty. She's going to play with number one overall pick Sabrina Aniescu, who is. A world talent, just outstanding. Um, Haley Gorecki is off to play with Sue Bird and the Seattle Storm. She was the 31st pick in the WNBA draft. Now, also a quick note, Bella uh, Allery, the daughter of Duke great Mark Allery, was drafted fifth overall by the Dallas Wings. Uh, while she played her college ball at Princeton, I consider her a part of the Duke D.C. family. I met her when she was a kid, when Mark would host events at his house and was a part of the board. So uh, that was a personal note. Congrats to all those ladies of being drafted into the WNBA and then one final quick note the WNBA did announce uh honorary picks uh, and those honorary picks were Gianna Bryant Alyssa Altobelli and Peyton Chester who obviously died uh in that helicopter crash back on January 26th so that was a really nice touch um to make them honorary draft picks before the draft got started uh and I think it was a touching tribute to those lives that were lost back then
0: really nice man Donald um Sam your turn what's your parting shot
2: all right, so I did want to follow up very
1: quickly on Donald's item because he mentioned uh, that Haley Gorecki is going to play with Sue Bird, right? Um, Sue Bird and Megan Rapino were recently on JJ Reddick's podcast, and I just want to say that it was a great interview. So if you are into any of those athletes, go listen to it because it was fascinating. Um, on to my parting shot, which I had originally planned. The other night, Duke football hosted a online trivia night. It was a Duke football-themed trivia night hosted by Duke football and and some of the folks from blue devil network, I think they call it is the, is the internal uh, coverage for Duke football. So I went and joined it just as a, as a fan and played along and I got totally rocked. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know if I've seen on the board if, if they posted the, the trivia questions. I got most of the questions right from the Cutcliffe era. I missed a lot of stuff from the, from the sixties and seventies and eighties. Admittedly, I wasn't around for any of those things. I've really only just read about them, but I think they're doing it again. So if you are a Duke football fan and want to participate in trivia, it was, it was a lot of fun. I think it only lasted like half an hour. So it was a, it was a pretty quick event and, uh, and was pretty cool. I'm trying to think of what one, one good question that either of you may have gotten uh, that, that I did. Oh, my favorite question that I got right that I'm not sure that others would remember, there was a question from the 2008 season. Duke won a game at Vanderbilt, uh, and the game ended on, on Duke having an interception in, the, in what would have been Vanderbilt's scoring end zone. So, so Duke had a, had a pick in the end zone. Who made the pick for Duke against Vanderbilt in 2008? Do either of you remember?
0: Ooh. Wow. No. <laughs> I would have to think about no.
1: that. It was the first question on the quiz and I got it right. Uh, and I, I specifically remember what's this the play. answer? It was Chris Robocumba. Uh
2: Robocumba, yeah.
1: Uh, the wow. players called him Robo. He didn't play much, but he did have that pick against Vanderbilt. And I think that was Coach Cuckler's first away win. So and it was at yes. it, you know, it's Vanderbilt, but it's still an SEC game. So pretty good for Duke.
0: Nice, nice job on that answer, there, Sam. I,
1: I, I did not get the spelling of Chris Robocumba's last name right, but I was just one letter off, so they gave it to me.
0: Good. Very, very generous of them. I, yes, I would right. have no. T- I would just <laughs> said Robo. <laughs> Robo. <laughs> so, guys, my parting shot, and some of you may have seen this. The the Duke Basketball Report has has a story about this, folks. If you have not gone and listened to the interview that JJ Reddick does with uh, with Barstool Sports, uh, uh, some podcast. Pardon my take um, from Barstool um, sat down with JJ. I, they must have recorded this a little while ago because they're all kind of there together in this in this age of social distancing. I don't know that that uh, they're observing the right kind of social distancing, but it's an interview where JJ talks really candidly about a few interesting topics, one of them being the hatred that he that he felt when he was at Duke. It is incredibly revealing, I mean, he was 19 years old and and was the most hated person in all of college basketball really for, for nothing that he had necessarily done other than being a white guy who could shoot really well and playing for Duke. He also and, threw
1: up a soccer occasionally when he would make three-pointers. But,
2: but when you're good, you can do that.
0: <laughs> well, you know what he talks about in this interview? He says, he he acknowledges that he did not act appropriately in response to the booze and and to the hatred and that it turned him into someone that he looks back on now and he doesn't like who that was, you know, yes, he, he would pop his shirt. He would, you know, interact with the crowd. He said, you know, and he would egg them on and it would make him a bigger villain. And he looks back on that and regrets it. He thinks that it, you know, it was, it was the way that as a 19 and 20 year old, he was dealing with this. Um, and, and it's understandable why he dealt with it that way, but he said, you know, it's not the way he should have dealt with it. And he talked about the fact that at one point he thought about quitting basketball, that he did not like it at all. Um, it's a really, it's an incredibly revealing interview. By the way, uh, the interview, if you watch it on YouTube, it's broken up into a few different, um, there are a few different J.J. Reddit clips. There's one where he talks about his time with the with the L.A. Clippers when Chris Paul and, and Blake Griffin were there and they looked like a team that was going to make you know, a push for a title and they never really got over the hump. He talks about the problems with that team. It's a fascinating, if you're interested in the NBA and sort of the culture inside an NBA team, it's fascinating. Just, I'm telling you, uh, JJ Redick, we already, we talked about his podcast a fair bit and my God, I've, I've been trying, I've got to get him on this podcast. We'll probably record with him and turn it into two or three podcasts. JJ Redick is as good and interesting an interview and interviewer as there is out there in the basketball world today. This is just amazing insight, I think. And again, he 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 spends about ten minutes talking about his time at Duke and how it impacted him. It's to me one of the things I take from it is when I when I look at guys on other teams now, you know, like Carolina players, maybe that I don't like, I'm I'm going to look at it differently. And uh, and hate is a word that we need to eliminate, Um, because what JJ says about it. Uh, has changed my mind about what it means to be a fan and not be a negative fan. And I hope others will listen to it and, and have a similar similar feeling about it.
2: Yeah. One fun fact about JJ, um, if this NBA season does not resume, it'll be the first time in his career that he yep. does not make the playoffs.
0: Yeah. I, and I think, I think that's probably going to happen. Because um, I think if the NBA comes back, I think they may – uh, they may just start with the playoffs. Uh, you know, the idea that oh, or let's if do they, another fifteen or if games.
1: They don't come back if they don't come back, we either have to acknowledge that JJ missed the playoffs, or we have to acknowledge that Carolina never missed an NCAA tournament during this time. So,
2: oh no, only, they missed it.
0: Oh, we only get
1: it. it. We only get it one way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with that note, we will wrap it up here on the DBR podcast. Sam and Donald, thanks so much for joining me. I am Jason. Hey, we just did a mailbag, but folks, that doesn't mean you can, you shouldn't continue to mail us questions. Uh, we need content during these times. <laughs> so hit us up, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. God, we need those subscriptions. We need those likes. We want them. They help with our search metrics. So everyone out there, who is looking for a Duke podcast can find us. We will be back very soon. We're continuing to pursue more interviews. There is more Duke news happening. All of us are sheltering in place and being safe, and I hope all of you are as well. Again, for Sam and Donald, I am Jason. DBR podcast in the books. Duke band, do your thing. Take us home.